everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Keeping Track. We have some great stuff in store for the second half of February. Um, we might have two to three episodes coming out in a short amount of time, but this episode is a little bit of an <laughs> infomercial for our book coming out. That's right. We have Sarah Slattery on, and she's the co-author with me of How She Did It book. Um, a collection of stories from 50 amazing female distance runners from uh, the last four to five decades and from a couple of different countries, as well as um, interviews with some experts in the sport endurance world, like uh, physiologists, chiropractors, nutritionists, uh, mental health counselors, and things like that. So Sarah and I dive into some of the themes that arose from the book, some of our favorite chapters, and give you a little sneak peek, hoping to encourage you to check it out yourself. We think it's a great resource targeted for the developing female distance runner, you know, that age from 6th grade to 12th grade, and also her parents and her coaches. But a lot of the advice, of course, applies to any young distance runner, um, and the stories of these women would inspire and motivate anybody reading it. So thank you for listening, and please check out How She Did It book. Welcome back to Keeping Track, everyone. Uh, Roisin and I are talking today with Sarah Slattery. So Sarah Mm. and I overlap a lot uh, in the racing world, and you guys probably know Sarah from her career as a college athlete and a professional athlete. She was a two-time individual All-American at the University of Colorado and part of um, two national championship teams, Sarah, did you say? Yeah, I won two individual NCAA championships and two teams. (laughs) And as a pro, you lit up the roads and the tracks. I know you won a gold medal at the Pan Am Games and the 10K and ran for many years. And now you're coaching at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix. Um, But what we're probably going to talk more about today is that we co-wrote a book together about women's running called How She Did It. And it's coming out in early March. Yes. And I am dying to interview both of you. So Molly, you can move over there and I'm going to be interviewing you <laughs> and Sarah. It's a conversation awesome book. <laughs> Thank yeah. you guys for having us. Thank you for having me on today. And Molly, like, uh, this has been our COVID project. Uh, or we decided to do this book pre COVID. I think, um, what was it a month or two right before that? Um, mm-hmm. we had the idea and, um, it honestly, like we were good friends before, but I think we've become even closer friends during this. And it's been a really, really fun project. And we're, I'm so excited for it to come out. Yes. Yes. So um, just for everyone, anyone who's um, listening to this, what is the actual date that it comes out? March 8th is the um, actual publishing date. So right around the corner. Yeah. 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 That's so exciting. And Molly, I've been hearing about this book for the last few years um, and it seems so far away, that publishing <laughs> date and to, for it to be a matter of weeks away now. How do you feel about how do you feel about it, ladies? I know. I almost called it a due date. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I can't wait to see it. You know, we've just done a lot of correcting and molding and um, to see its final shape will be cool. Um, 
for those out there, Roisin is in the book as one of our specialists, uh, mental <laughs> health counselors, and Alicia too. So I'm wrapping my my parts of my world into the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I'm so excited to have you both on because you've been doing this project, interviewing an amazing amount of elite female athletes from all around the world. And yes, I feel like we haven't showcased the book in the project enough. So I'm like, Molly, I want to talk about the book. <laughs> um, how many women did you interview for this book? We, um, we were taught, like our initial thought was 50. Um, we enter, we ended up interviewing, I think 68 or 70, wasn't it Molly? It was close to 70. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we just kept thinking of more, um, impactful women that we should include in the book. And so we felt like more interviews was better than not enough. And so then we had to, we chiseled it down and we have some smaller interviews and longer interviews, but it ended up being 50 total in the book. Oh, excellent. So you already got like volume two halfway done then. <laughs> we, yeah, we've talked about expanding on it a little bit in, in even different events, maybe. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So um, to somebody who hasn't heard about your book yet, does anyone want to kind of summarize what it's about? Um, sh- sure, Molly, do you want to go or you want me to go? Um, you can go because you're our guest. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, our... Uh, our initial thought was the, the book, it came around, um, kind of on the discussion with the Mary Kane, um, story broke and Molly was out here training in Arizona. Um, and at the time, like it was a story that resonated with us and so many other women distance runners we felt. And, um, you kind of hear that about like, there's so many other women that have like dealt with, um, these issues with coaching or, um, peaking early and, um, not in having like a bad, um, experience along the way and not continuing in sport. And so, um, we felt like there is, there's a lot of stories coming out with, um, with a lot of women in having running be a negative, um, influence in their life. And we felt like, yes, this happens a lot, but there's a lot of women that actually have had really like women or running can be a very powerful sport and, um, and change your life for the better. And there's a lot of women that we knew that had great experiences and, um, had, had dealt with some of those issues, but been able to continue and get better through high school, college, and the professional scene and continue to grow in the sport. And, and lead really um, great li- lives outside of sport as well. And the, the sport empowered them to do that. And so we wanted to look at like, okay, well, what are the issues that women face in sport? And um, what, what is it? We, one of the, the big things that we found was like, um, that we thought was a, a story that was told as the footlocker curse, where there's only been two women that have ever made uh, one footlocker um, nationals and made an Olympic team. And one of those was Molly Sedell um, this last year and she even medaled. So we're, but there's been several men and why was that? So that was kind of a, a question we looked at and, um, and then what did, what do women face that men don't and what, um, and what, what um, are these obstacles that you have to, um, handle and how can you handle them? Like, how do you best handle them? And 
um, and continue to grow. So um, it was really fun. It was a really fun project. There's things that we um, we learned that we didn't really know kind of before with some of the experts, but also like seeing that um, play out in those women's like uh, careers. And um, it was it was interesting um, to see uh, some of those stories continue to get better. And and um, and I think the biggest thing is like learning to um, to have that having that guidance and it and and then using that to to get better in the sport um and it's a book honestly that Molly and I uh w- wish we would have had when we were um when we were younger because there just wasn't information like that um or you would I would have eaten it up at the time and to hear the stories I think the most powerful part is listening to those women and hopefully there's someone that a girl can connect with and um and feel like they understand their story and it is similar to what they're dealing with. Yeah, that's awesome. So what I hear you saying is that like, there's a lot of women that fall into that kind of hole of like, you know, there's might be successful in high school, but then they kind of get lost somewhere and they don't necessarily translate into professional really well, or they, there's a drop off there and we don't know really what happens to a lot of young um, athletes, young stars. Um, yeah, what your book is doing is kind of learning from the, the success of the people who have been able to cross that threshold and like sharing their kind of wisdom and guidance on like how they navigated some of those same obstacles. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway was like almost every woman in this book has dealt with, with, hasn't had a straight line of progression in their yeah. sport. And yeah. so um, almost all of them have had a period where it's, ta- they've gone through some things and it's, ta- they've, um, whether it be like, um, puberty or, um, injuries or, um, mm-hmm. psychological setbacks, um, and then how, how they dealt with those things and, um, continued to get better. And, yeah. um, and they may have had a few years where it was a setback, but they learned from those and like, were able to grow and get better as an athlete. And, um, and continue to progress in their career. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're kind of like normalizing some of these issues that a lot of athletes face and yes, showing like how they actually navigated those. And I think, you know, if you think about why do few girls drop out of sport, it's like they don't know how to navigate some of these issues and, and they just so they're like, oh, you know what, I'll just avoid it. <laughs> and I'll just turn it for sure. For sure. And I think a big thing for me that really would upset me when I was growing up in sport is you would hear, um, I would hear even this narrative that was played out like, oh, girls peak when they're, once they hit puberty and then they don't get better. And so I was like, oh, I went through puberty when I was 12. I wasn't even running. What does that mean? Like, am I not going to get better? Or then girls, like if they went through puberty later in life, or am I done in sport now that I've gone through puberty? And that's a total crap like that's total mm-hmm. crap so it's yeah um understanding that yes your body is going to change but you you can get stronger during this period as well it may take a few years to get adjusted to those things but um it's important to to have that period and um and i think just now coaches have more knowledge but you don't hear it i don't know i'm not in the high school scene but i don't know if you hear that as much um i felt like there 
just being at the Foot Locker Championships this year, it was a much healthier narrative that I was hearing for most of the girls and seeing. And so hopefully those narratives are changing, but I, we want more and more information out there. So girls understand that this is, these things are normal. These things are normal that you'll face. And most of the girls in like in sport face these, and um, it doesn't mean that you're don't give up early, like keep, keep working hard and you'll get through these. Yeah. And it seems like there's such a diverse, um, number of ladies on there, right. That's that reading it. You're like, I might not have had that issue, but I can relate to like her issue. And then it's like seeing themselves on the pages or seeing their story play out on the pages. It's like, that's like, you're kind of showing these like role models in a way of how to navigate things. And I think that's going to be very empowering for a lot of female athletes. So I think that's a really good job there that, you know, there's this, that there's not one way to do something, right. That yeah. every athlete has their own journey. And, and we all say that and all know that, but it's nice to see people who are kind of, you can like identify with, like you can see yourself in them or, or whatever you're trying to anyways. And, yeah. um, and that, that can be really encouraging to like, oh, she's just like me. Oh, wow. What can I do? If she's able to do this, like, what can I potentially do? Yeah, that was, that was one of the goals. We tried to um, talk to women who had like a like diverse background of like how they got into the sport or what events they ran or who they were um, and the backgrounds they came from in general. So we were hoping someone would, would relate to something in the book, no matter what it was. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, um, you know, who were some of your favorite interviews? I, I don't know if you want to ha- like have favorites, but, um, you know, yeah, you give some like stats of people about people's um, like PRs and things like that. But you also kind of found like a nice story for each person, like a an, an different angle that's really interesting. And, you know, as humans, we research shows that we all relate to stories. We don't really the facts are one thing, but the stories is what really pulls us in. So I'm wondering, you know, not necessarily who's your favorite athlete or anything, but what are some of your favorite stories that you're excited for people to read? Yeah, I I think what I like about our book is we have the stories. We also have the experts like PhDs, um, chiropractors and doctors and nutritionists and you, Roisin, like licensed mental health counselors giving the the actual um, qualified advice, but then we have like how it plays out in the athletes' careers. So that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to Sarah earlier and one of the one of the chapters I liked a lot was um, we talked to Hazel Clark, um, who, you know, is part of the first family of track and field, the Clarks, and that story alone yeah. is amazing where, you know, they Hazel Joetta and Jurel all made the Olympic team in the 800 the one year. And um, Hazel was talking about how she just, she actually had really bad race anxiety her whole career. And she never like truly enjoyed racing. Like sometimes had to be pushed out onto the track, but it wasn't really talked about as much then. And she was winning a lot. So everyone assumed she was fine. And so I think that's really um, encouraging for girls to hear who are dealing with that now and see it as a weakness or see it as like, you know, a problem they shouldn't have or 
that's hard to deal with. And um, she talks about it now and was just like, I would have loved these kind of strategies, you know, that would help mm-hmm. me through it back then. Instead, we just kind of toughened mm-hmm. up and tried to deal with it, but it's still a lot of joy from the sport. And she's, she said, I probably could have run faster. You know, I was tightening up a lot mm-hmm. out there, even though I was running well. So to me, yeah. that one was like really eye opening. Yeah, yeah. And in a good way, like you see the change, the wave of like, you know, increased awareness or mental health or even language and like um, openness to speaking to somebody has changed in the last 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. that she kind of is like, this is a good change in her in her eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She I mean, it, it's great to hear her talk about it. We should have her on the podcast. But she yeah. she mentioned, too, it kind of drove a wedge between her and her competitors. Like she didn't really get close to them because mm. she felt like she had to keep up this like edge, you know, and she was so nervous. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, I see that the girls now are different and I wish I had that. And so it, it's definitely yeah. um, it was eye opening to see like, hey, these aren't new problems. And it's just yeah. it's encouraging that we have uh, more yeah. openness around it and more resources. Yeah, yeah. For so many um, young athletes, because I actually work with young athletes a lot, and when they say I'm nervous or I feel like this, and I'm thinking, I like to say to them, like, you know, that's how the professionals yeah. feel as well, right? And, <laughs> and then they're like, really, like, you know. So it's like, I think when when people will see and hear these stories that you've written about, it's going to it's going to help the like younger athletes who are like what is this what am I experiencing you know how do I navigate this and I think it's so cool to to like actually get those words down and see it you know no yeah yeah even working with some of my college kids like they will will talk a lot about pre-race things and post-race things and they'll talk to me about race anxiety and putting so much pressure on themselves and I was like you know like every time anyone from whether they're like going to the Olympics or being at the WAC championships, they're like, you all have similar feelings. And like, that's not, it's, if you don't have those feelings, it's more of a concern because you don't care, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's good that Mm -hmm. you have those feelings, but they're feel, they feel like they are um, only ones that have those pressures. So I think, yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think Hazel's, Hazel's, uh, talk about or her description with that and um now having social media and having more people um seeing more people sort seeing a different side of athletes is really good for young girls but seeing this like mm-hmm. hearing these stories of these other women would be awesome and I um yeah so I agree with that and um I think I also think like our book we we had you know Hazel is kind of in the middle like of the women's running era from now we're in a current, but like we have some of the pioneers as well. And I found, um, it, it was so amazing listening to their stories and the things that they faced and coming into this sport and really starting. Um, even like we, we interviewed a couple mother daughter combinations. So we had, um, Shalane and her mom, um, Cheryl. And then we also had Elish and, Liz McGolgan and, um, and the, I, I don't think both the, we didn't get to keep Katie and her mom, um, Lisa Rainsberger as well, but it was so interesting to hear the, um, the experiences the mothers had in sport and now seeing their daughters go through that, um, transition and being in the same, um, at the same level as they were. Um, I, I thought it was fascinating 
Shalane's mom was, um, was first, she, she developed one of the first sports bras because they didn't have sports bras for, so she had the first mm-hmm. patent on a sports bra. Um, and she didn't, she was tired of racing in an underwire, <laughs> underwire bra yeah. and training in an underwire bra. And so she's like, this needs to change. And like, I want, I don't want to be training in this. I know there's other women. So like she we, developed that. We want Cheryl to write her own book because her story was amazing. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like, yeah, that's awesome. It's hard to, isn't it, isn't it amazing to, to hear, you know, to gain that perspective of like, yeah, this isn't always the way it's been or like that that's, that's important for people to remember or to be in touch with at least that, yeah, this is evolving and it's, it's not, you know, just the default hasn't been around forever. Mm. Women's sport have not been around forever. And well, that's, that's, the thing. that's just it. It's one generation. Mm. That's p- mm. pretty much who we're talking to, yeah. right? Mm. Like some of the first women in the sport or Madeline Mims, Cheryl had the first scholarship, like they're, you know, Cheryl's daughter is only just retired with yeah. Shalane's career. So it's like, we haven't, you know, actually, and then when you mm-hmm. look at the steeplechase row, your event, like that was mm-hmm. the first time in the Olympics in 08. So we just see like how much growth is happening, which is encouraging. Yeah. And even with, with that steeplechase story, like, um, we, we interviewed Lisa, um, Lisa Aguilera and Anne Gaffigan and Anne, um, Anne had the first, I think she broke the, or she won the first Olympic trials for the steeplechase. Um, and had the American record for a little while, but she started Steeple Chicks, the website. And um, it was really cool because Emma Coburn and her parents would write in to like send um, and emails asking her about um, steeple information and how to train for it and like different questions um, when, when Emma was first getting in the sport in high school. So it was, and it was, she said it was, awesome to see her continue and grow to the level that she's at now being a medalist and um, having all this success yeah that's really cool that is a cool story I never knew that yeah yeah. I think the mother-daughter the two mother-daughter interviews were my favorite though because it was interesting too seeing just like how they must have guided their daughter's careers even though their daughters had more opportunities than they did like you like Ailish's mom, Liz, would talk about um, kind of how she coaches Ailish too and would sort of hold her back a little bit, just knowing like what the progression really is in elite distance running. And and um, not that everyone's going to become an elite runner, but she just kind of knew from her experience how to, you know, not get you too involved too early, not get you too re- doing like structure, overly structured workouts too early. Um, and... Mm. I just think that's interesting, especially like Roe, after hearing you talk about like, you know, your kids are entering sports at like a more serious level. And it's like, well, you're thinking that way too. And like, Sarah's probably going to think that way about Callie. So I think that's kind of an interesting conversation to have. Like how, how you want your daughters raised in sport versus mm-hmm. how you were raised in sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. looking at that progression and how you want their experiences to lie. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because I think you know, there's a culture of like the kids are, you know, they're little and they're under eight or nine or 10. And it's like, let's get them structured. Let's get them in. Let's, you know, there's a lot of training happening, organizing, organized sport at that really early age. And it's, I don't know, I'm, 
<laughs> and like the opposite. I'm like, when they find this word, I know what it takes. It takes a lot of like commitment and stuff. I don't know if, if it's necessary as a six and seven or eight year old, nine year old, even. Yeah. No, so like, but- yeah. Like, I don't know if that's just us because of our perspective as like in a higher level in the sport. But like, what do you guys think? Like, maybe this is common knowledge, but when you see those parents who are like a little overly intense and like, you know, like Ro, you saw a parent who made their daughter practice after soccer practice. And she was like, my feet hurt, like (laughs) at a really (laughs) young age, like things like that, talking about scholarship track when they're six years old, like. What are your thoughts on that? Because to me, it's obvious, but maybe to a lot of parents, they don't understand. I, I, I think it's like Steve and I see it a lot already with like Stevie's eight and, um, he plays all sports. Like he plays football, soccer, baseball, and sometimes they overlap and he's done swimming and basketball in the summer. And, um, we already have kids that are in like, that are getting special training. Like they're getting private coaching and going like only specializing in one sport already at eight. And Stevie has been asking, begging to like do tackle football. And we were both like, you can learn just as much playing flag football at this age and not have like to deal with the other like concussion injuries. And you don't even know how to play the sport really. (laughs) So let's, let's get the basics down. But we like, we both feel like you need, I think that that drive needs to like, they need to find what they like to do and enjoy sport as much as they can at this age. And then if they find something that they really like, that drive needs to come from them, not from us. And so, um, especially just with our experiences, like you were saying, Ro, like it, it gets really hard once you get to the top and like, you really have to have be on all the time that it, it there has to be some um, and I don't know, maybe you should ask us that in five years when our kids are later on in their careers, but I just feel like that needs to come from them. And, um, and I, yeah. And, and I, and I found it really interesting, like even in our book that it, it's a little bit backed with that, with some of the stats with, um, with Adam Tim Forty did a, a stress fracture study. He did his PhD at Stanford, um, and did a, 10, eight or 10 year stress fracture study on athletes. And, um, he found like, um, that athletes that did not specialize before high school had a, um, these were from, had a 50% less likely chance of getting, developing a stress fracture, um, in distance running. And so that alone, like makes me like with the amount of stress fractures that you face as an, um, that I face, like, and I, and I, I did not specialize, but like, and I see it with athletes now, like that's, that's a huge stat, like, and, and it makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like, yeah, that's really good to know, right. That there's like the, the variation is probably good for bone building and different things. I can imagine I'd like to read more about that, but. Mm -hmm. And if, um, if you counted all the women in the book who started before the age of high school, serious running it's probably we'd have to go back and look sarah but like maybe three or four did and a majority of them you didn't get serious about it till later so yeah 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 um yeah i mean i think this is a great topic because i've seen some great research on that like you know families and 
parents that like the more they invest in a kid, the more they want to return in that investment. So as they like commit more time and energy and resources on, you know, the side effect of that could be more pressure on the, on the kid. And unfortunately, pressure kind of has an inverse relationship with enjoyment and it also has an inverse relationship with um, performance. Right. So, you know, the more the the more committed and more invested parent, the tolerance is kind of goes down as well for, you know, just having fun or like, you know, not really taking it serious. So um, all these things that like kids, you know, are naturally it's like age appropriate behavior, right, for a young athlete. So it's just kind of, you know, interesting to see how it all plays out. And at the same time, I know there's variants in different sports, you know, technical sports. Some of my friends who are into technical sports are like, oh, no, if they don't if they don't have X number of hours on the ice or, you know, with the ball or whatever it is by this age, they'll never, you know, get it that back. And so, you know, we're talking about I, I suppose we should probably just talk about running and and you know, what's required for our sport. But I think your book is doing a great job showing that, you know, there's a freedom there for, you know, budding athletes to have, enjoy their childhood, enjoy a variety of sports without, before they, before they have to specialize or like get too serious about it. I think that's good news. And um, I think that's, that's a really positive to come from what you, what you guys have collected here can be a good influence for like parents who are interested in the sport and and trying to navigate those younger years and like how much training or how much their kids should be goal oriented at a young age. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it should alleviate some of the pressure that those kids like need to put on themselves early on, like enjoy sport, find what you're good at, um, play lots of sports. And like, even if you're, like not the best, like it, you'll figure out what you like and what you're good at. And you can, you can specialize and do things that you're suited more for later on. Yeah. I mean, distance running is a lifetime activity, but if you want to be, you know, competing at a high level, um, it's often just, it's later in your life that you're going to hit that peak. And we're wondering now, especially if even maybe it's even later than for women than it is for men. Um, but that's why you don't want to burn out when you're, you know, 13, 14, 15. I, like, of course, some pressure is good and necessary, but to be that regimented that young is not something you're going to be able to hold for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, to your point there, Molly, like we're also learning that like, yeah, maybe the peak, we still don't even know when women are actually peaking, like even 10 years ago, <laughs> like, I, I thought 30 was like, oh yeah, myself, I'm done. Yeah, you're done. Like, forget it. Like, but now it's like, no, people are only getting um, by yeah. stride. 40 is 30. the new 30. It's <laughs> seriously, oh, yeah. there you go. You know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And we Which talked. Which is great because that belief of like, oh, when is, when, like, Sarah, to your point, like, when was, oh, I must have peaked when I was 12. I didn't hadn't even started in the sport. And uh, there I am. Like, well, but I've run, you know, and now I'm like, yeah, like what what if this these beliefs that we put in these numbers, we don't even know what those numbers are yet, you know? Totally. It's interesting. Yeah, relation. like we we talked to Joe Pavey, um, who we know had the Commonwealth gold at over 35, age over 35. We talked to um Ed de Kiplica, who won the Boston Marathon, was it at 39 or late, yes, late yeah. 30s? 
Um, Shalane, who we know won New York at 36 37. or so. 37. Yeah. I think 36 um, or 37. Yeah. Sarah Hall, of course, who just set <laughs> tier, the American record in the half marathon. <laughs> <laughs> the half marathon at 30. How old is Sarah? 38. She's around yeah. our age and yeah. is made her first world championship team for this summer. With So like, you know, Kira D'Amato, we didn't talk to for the book, but we could use her as an example. So, you know. Yeah. So Kira D'Amato wasn't even on the scene two yeah, years ago. Well, like, yeah. yeah. She was, so but like, she wasn't, you know. It's a valid question of like, mm-hmm. well, are we just not giving ourselves permission to try this later in life? Like, is the body still mm-hmm. able to do it? And how mm-hmm. do you take care of your body well enough to get it there? There's a lot of that in the book, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like resources and knowing if you're, what you're pursuing is like doable. So like, I think in the past, like you'd only hear like a few people like Dina ran later in her career too, um, that would do it, but they had, you know, they were compensated well and had resources to be able to continue doing that where I think, um, Mm -hmm. other girls have like quit the sport thinking like, all right, I need to, I need to get a job now and be able to find, you know, ways to make this work and have an income and have a family and those things. So now like they're seeing other women do this. And so maybe they're like, I think it'll help inspire and the narrative is changing a little bit and we'll probably see more women doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you can kind of get your needs taken care of that can free people up to then actualize their potential whatever age that is you know yes yeah yeah that's cool um really exciting guys so so there's a collection of stories from about 50 female athletes from across the country and then you also have a section from the experts that you'd kind of mentioned a couple of times um could you just give us like a rundown of like you know whether the, the experts are just like or what, you know, what are some key things that you wanted to kind of get across from the experts? Um, because so, I just, 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 just for the, sorry to put it across, just for someone who's reading, like I found what I read was very accessible. You know, if you're not an expert in physiology or, or, you know, some of the other people that you spoke to, I was able to understand it in like, I'm understanding the science, but also the application of it. And I felt that that was really good to, as a reader to digest it that way. And um, so I'm just wondering, is that, was that obviously was that was intentional? Like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so we wanted it to be kind of like, almost like a recipe book for athletes. So mm. like, um, like we were saying the things that you face, but like we had, we have a section on nutrition, injury prevention. Um, we have sports physiology, um, sports psychology. Uh, a so- we have a sociologist as well. Um, uh, and endocrinology, endocrinology, bone health. Um, and so we tried to, we wanted to put, um, give them as much knowledge as possible on like, um, the science and the, um, the, um, expert pieces to be something they can indulge and understand, but also apply with the stories of the women um, later on. So anytime, like we had, we tried to like have, um, that information overlap with what the girls that were, um, in the book, um, res- like were telling yeah. as well. And like you yeah. utilize that information. So yeah, we wanted, we didn't want it to be too sciencey, but we wanted it to be, um, information they could use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I will say originally they were, um, 
they were kind of like more dense articles, like nearly scientific papers written by some of the experts. Um, and we do actually want to share some of those in full, like Trent Stellingworth's paper on patients, really good. Yeah, <laughs> patients during puberty. We, he would like to share it and we would like to share it online in full because it was such a great analysis. But um, we did shout out to Scott Douglas, who we hired to help us condense <laughs> all the information into like 40 pages of digestible reading that all went together really nicely. He did a great job with that um, because um, there is a lot more information that we didn't make it into the book, but we do want to yeah. want to share That's that great. too. Yeah. And I think you did a great job, you know, editing that down so well done. I can't imagine how hard that was, but, you know, raising some of these real um, concerns about low energy availability and reds and things that um, athletes could be struggling with that they just don't even know that these things are conditions or exist, you know? So I think that's going to be very empowering to have that knowledge there as well and, and familiarize people um, with some of the side effects of some of these kind of hormonal issues or low energy availability issues that can and, cause a lot of problems. And as a coach too, like, I know it's very women specific, but a lot of these things, like I face, I coach both men and women and a lot of these things come up with the men as well. Um, mm -hmm. they just aren't as vocal and, or it's not as common, but, mm -hmm. um, I think like even the low energy availability um, happens on my, on my men's team almost as much as my women's. They don't take care of themselves as much. And so like you were saying, they don't know that they are even dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it's fascinating research. The, the red, yeah, all of that research is fascinating. It's like the first, you know, there's a, I don't know, a huge percentage of athletes who are probably in that kind of gray, gray zone of like, and vulnerable to illness and injuries um and they're not even aware you know so I think you guys have done a great job kind of bringing that up so now we can use that our parents could read this coaches could read this and go huh like I'm aware now of like what the science is here and this without kind of trying to navigate um scientific yes. journals and yeah which book is you know which book scientific book is now extinct or like which you know who are the and you've got the like cutting edge edge experts on these areas so it's really exciting and I think I'd love to hear more interviews with them I'd love to read more so yeah please yeah. do and, share and some of the nutrition info is second nature to us as you know we've been running for a long time but if you're a parent of an athlete and you're new to sports and your daughter or son's really into sports but let's say your daughter's really into sports like you might want to buy this book just for the expert section yourself because you know like you said this might not be something they're aware of maybe they think their daughter is feeling well but they read this and realize oh for distance running she's not you know she might have low mm -hmm. iron she might not be getting enough calories and mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. they're the ones seeing it every day like the parents are the closest ones to mm -hmm. the child and their habits and the way they eat and the way they're acting and recovering and sleeping and stuff so it's it's yeah. good for it's good for um to share with coaches and parents i think too yeah yeah I think, you know, if you're a fan of the sport, you have to have this book. So, you know, I'm pre-ordering it today. I <laughs> um, can't wait to actually get the real copy um, and share it with, yeah, up and coming athletes. Because, yeah, like you're saying, Molly, there's some of these things are like so default. Now you're like, oh, yeah, everyone knows this information. But they don't, you know, like 
new 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 athletes showing up in the sport every day and they do not know what you who you are sorry no offense or like <laughs> you know anyone is and this is a really accessible way to like learn about these athletes hear their stories and and see themselves in them and I just think I think it's very exciting um what have you guys got planned for launching are you doing anything exciting to celebrate this massive success well we're jo- we're joking because molly is really having um we we called it two births so first <laughs> the book birth and my in twins twin. <laughs> and then the baby is coming after that so we have to have a christening both- for both we have to have a um, baby shower for both Molly. <laughs> We're, the book is actually being oh, born on international women's day so i don't know if Yay. there'll be any activities specific there'll be a lot of activities everyone's doing around that which is cool um mostly listen you're going to hear us on a lot of podcasts and <laughs> yes. probably be sick yeah. of us but yeah no so get your book and you'll ha- it could even arrive on women's international day or sorry i don't know if i'm saying I think right. if you pre-order if you pre-order it'll yeah. come on march 8th so See, what so a great present to send to all your female friends and runner runner yes. girls around the country to like send you know get this gift on international women's day if you order it now yep. <laughs> where should people order it you know i know um, do you have your own website for it or is it just order on like the best bookstore websites? I think you can order it on um, Penguin Random House has all the links to like Amazon, Target, whatever your preferred local bookstore mm-hmm. is. If you want to go there, um, it does have a website, how she did it, book.com. And then Sarah and I have it linked on our social channels. Like we're really trying to get the word out, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if, even if you just went to Amazon and typed it in, you'd find it. Okay, yeah. how she did a book.com. Okay. Um that's great. And um just before I know I don't know if this other stuff you want to talk about, but um talk to me about the cover and image and like how fierce that looks. And tell me who it is and tell me everything about the cover. Um well it's Patty Dillon. I, Molly mm-hmm. can Molly actually did the interview with Patty. Um I wasn't able to be there for that day, but it's amazing because she's one of the pioneers in the sport um so we um we actually did our publisher did the cover and it would like some of the things like we were joking like aren't running like don't um take off on the first try and we like go around in circles with it but that came back and both molly and i were like oh that is amazing like we love that photo I was just going to say that is a really amazing image. Like we initially had the idea to try and do like a collage of the women in the book and put that in the background, but I guess it was too crowded. And that picture of Patty does kind of encapsulate like, yes, the fierceness of like the empowering nature of sport, like really she's in running, I think that was Tufts 10K years ago. So it was like an all women's race. Um, Patty's very proud of her stat as the fastest native runner as well. So we thought that was really cool to include in the book. Um, she's from a really unique background and, and proud of that and runs for that. Um, but yeah, the, our editor just loved the image. She, I don't know that they knew, knew who Patty was. <laughs> and we were like, that's so fitting that you picked a pioneer. And um, Patty's interview is so great. Like it gave me chills. She's such a great storyteller. So yeah, yeah she's so tough. <laughs> like her story, she's just like the things that she overcame and the 
the type of athletes that she is like and the times that she was running at that time, um, were like, would be fast today on a lot of those, um, the courses and the things that she did. So it's pretty amazing. The things that she did. Awesome. Yeah, no, she's great. We, we've had her on keeping track and loved her interviews. Brilliant. Yeah. So I'm looking at your, you know, website here and, and the little sticker that says stories, advice and secrets to success from 50 legendary distance runners by Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. I love it. It's really cool. Um, so everyone needs to get on this book <laughs> and get your sisters in sport hooked up for Women's International Women, Women's Day and look out for Molly and Sarah to, you know, there are cool interviews everywhere and hopefully everyone will have this book. Like, I just think it's going to be one of those things that like you have to have it, you know, it's just like, it's class girls. Well done. I'm, I'm really proud of both of you and I hope you are too. And I hope you guys get to like actually enjoy this part now when it like <laughs> comes out. And like, I know you put in so much work, so I hope you get the relief and like satisfaction from seeing it in your hands. Can't um, wait. <laughs> yes thank you thank you Ro. and thanks for being a part of it and um and we hope oh um I think our biggest our biggest goal with this whole thing is just to help help more girls stay in the sport and um and enjoy it as much as we did yeah absolutely and Molly how about you is there anything else you wanted to add that we haven't covered or um, it's just, yeah, we wrote the book that we would have liked when we were that age. You know, I devoured a few books similar to that, but they were like 70, 30% men's stories, women's stories. And so <laughs> we definitely could fill two whole books with the women's stories and we're on the way to doing that. So, um, I hope you all enjoy it as much as our little running nerd selves would have. Um, but I also hope it helps the next generation. Yeah. Just to like kind of crowdsource these lessons and, um, run faster than ever before and happier yeah exactly that's it you're showcasing like the success but also this healthy mindset and you know healthy way to achieve goals it doesn't always have to be okay you have to have an eating disorder to be successful in distance running you're like we want to rewrite that narrative it's like mm -hmm. you're getting this you actually are rewriting that narrative with this book so that's so cool and um and, well, and yeah, if you face an eating disorder, you can still make it, you can get out the other side and still continue to get better. Yeah. <laughs> like great. get healthy from that. Yeah. And I go on to have more success. Right. So it's like, yes. it's showing that, you know, the recovery is possible and actually that's going to lead to more success at the end mm -hmm. of it, which is, yeah, so many issues covered here and you should be very proud of it. And it's so exciting to see it actually like start to come out into the world <laughs> kind of like having a baby molly like you're <laughs> i know right now we're pushing we're like okay it's close <laughs> and then you get onto the real the real uh labor <laughs> so best of luck with it ladies and thank you so much for your time and it's been great to talk to you and I'm, i wish that all the best it. in the world Thanks, Ro. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thank you guys so much.
Major shout-outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Do you know what the funnest, the, I didn't say this in the interview, but one of the most fun parts was doing all the interviews and hearing all the stories. Mm-hmm. It was so mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. and fun to like listen Thank to like you. what those girls, like each girl went through and yeah. Um, and yeah. catch up with a lot of people we knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that a, was really- a lot of the women are our peer group. So it was like just calling yeah. a friend, like calling Amy Hastings and chatting yeah. um, was fun. But then, yeah, some definitely I was a fan of some of the women I was talking to, like calling Lynn yeah. Jennings on the phone yes. and asking her any <laughs> question yeah. about her career that, that I could come up with was like, I'm so glad oh I had an excuse. True. Yeah. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!